You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. I want to um, share with you a, a, a promise that God made to Israel 4,000 years ago, and I want to has, take a review on how it went 4,000 years later. God says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, says, and uh, now you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. That turned out to be quite a significant promise. God gave the children of Israel the power to get wealth. Now remember that uh, they were a, um, uh, a group of, of slaves in Egypt. They've left Egypt. They're coming through the desert on the way to the promised land. They hadn't, hadn't arrived there yet. So as a nation, they didn't really exist at this point in their history. But God gave them this promise. Fast forward 4,000 years or so today. Um, just take the US economy for a moment, which is the largest economy on the planet. Uh, they represent 4%. There's quite a number of Jews that live in the United States. 4% of the population of the United States. That 4% hold in their hand... 40% of the wealth of the largest economy in the world. <laughs> How many see that that promise was given 4,000 years ago was not just some kind of, oh, well, you know, this is just a nice thing to say. Uh, according to Forbes magazine, uh, the statistic is not quite as shocking, but it's still shocking enough to surely want us to ask how and why. Uh, according to Forbes magazine, um, the, the Jewish population globally represents 0.2 or 1%. So the Jews make up of the whole world two of every thousand people. Yet according to Forbes magazine, they occupy one in every $10. 10% of the world's wealth exists in the hands of 0.2% of the world's population, the Jews. So how many know this promise that was given to them 4,000 years ago was not just some nice little, how about a spiritual blessing, you know, how about, no, this, this was hard, cold reality. God said to these people 4,000 years ago, I will give you power to get wealth, and here we are 4,000 years later, and that group of nomads in the desert now occupy more wealth than any other specific group on the planet by far. Doesn't that lead you to ask why? How do they do it? How does it work? You curious? Because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Even if you're not all that curious, just to build a bit more of the tension. Emperor Constantine, right? Emperor Constantine was the head of the Roman Empire 300 years after um, the death of Christ. So we're going back 1,700 odd years. Emperor Constantine comes to the Jews. The Jews are now subjugated by the Roman Empire, right? Rome has rolled in over the Jews as they rolled in over most of Africa and Southern Europe. The Roman Empire, you've all heard of it. <laughs> Uh, the, the head of it then, Constantine, said to the Jews, how come we have all the power and we have all the education, 
but you have all the wealth. This was 1,700 years ago. And so Constantine decided he would do everything within his power to stop them. And he instituted a tax system that is similar to the tax system that we have today. It was an eighth of a day's wage, a 40th of a month, a month's wage, and a 60th of the harvest. Now, this is interesting. So stay with me if, you're, uh, if you like facts. Um, the Roman Empire, at that particular point of history, occupied fundamentally um, the, the, the base of southern Europe and down into Africa. Right? Now, if you were to go to the base of southern Europe and then into Africa today, what are you going to find? You're going to find an economic basket case, aren't you? It doesn't seem to matter how much money we pour into um, Africa, it just never seems to get any better. Uh, you know, and look at, you look at Greece today and, and Italy today and you look at where, you know, financially where they're at. You just wonder, you, it, maybe you shouldn't miss with what God has instituted. Just a thought I throw out there. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't mess with what God has instituted. Uh, the reason why God did this, there were two reasons why God gave this promise to his covenant people, the Jewish people. Now, for those of you in this room who are Christians, we are the covenant people of God as well. There is some ramifications. There is some implications here. You, you, need, to, you need to listen up. But, but there was a two reasons for it. Firstly, was that the rest of the nations, because Israel wasn't a nation when this promise was given, this statement was made by God. Um, the reason uh, God did that was because he wanted his nation, the, the covenant people of Israel, to be the predominant nation on the planet. He wanted other nations to look at them and go, oh, wow, their God must be pretty powerful. Because in those days, gods were very much ethnic-based. Uh, eth eth the Greeks had their gods, the Romans had their gods, and so forth. Uh, and so he wanted, he wanted them to look at Jews and go, wow, who is your God? You, you, you have an amazing God. And this was going along swimmingly uh, unto, under David and Solomon. In fact, under the rulership of Solomon, uh, it, said, it says that, that silver was as common as rock and stone. So you've got rocks and stones in your garden, right? Well, if you were around back then, you would have had silver in your garden to keep the weeds down or something. I don't know. Because it says that rocks... That silver was as common as rocks and no nation dared raise a fist against Israel under the leadership of Solomon. It fell apart a little bit after Solomon due to the uh, indiscretions of the kings. Um, but uh, he wanted them to, firstly he wanted them to be you know, seen as, as significant amongst, amongst the uh, uh, other nations. And then, and then secondly, but he didn't want stuff to have their heart and if that's what happened. You see, he made them so prominent, significant financially, the, uh, the economic powerhouse of the planet under Solomon. But what happened was that then stuff got their heart. And so the thing started to fall apart. Because how many know that mammon becomes the chief instigator of our hearts? Um, this is a big, big deal. When Jesus turned up on the planet 2,000 years ago, it was the number one thing he spoke about. You take, a bit, you take issues like forgiveness and prayer, you put them together and he spoke about mammon or money uh, significantly more than those two things put together because uh, this, this thing had, had bitten into their hearts and had become the instigator of their life. Uh, their lives are about upgrades um, and experiences. And uh, how many know today that we're living in a world that is predominantly dominated by upgrades and experiences. How many of you this week have thought about upgrading your wardrobe, your phone, your computer, your car, your house? 
I might even say your spouse, but that might be getting a little bit too, uh, too uh, personal. Uh, but we all want to, you know, upgrade our postcodes, you know, uh, up- upgrade our faces maybe. Lady, I don't know. Uh, but this world is all about upgrades and experiences. Now, uh, this, this has gotten hold of our hearts. This is not the way to think, folks. This is not what God had intended. Um, now, the Jews pretty much have bought into this now. Christians, not so much. Uh, most Christians are like, uh, are like normal, right? And what's normal? Normal is broke, right? <laughs> normal is broke. And the reason they're broke, I'm going to explain to you exactly why they're broke in a moment, because they've, they've bought into upgrades and experiences as the predominant motivator of their life. Um, uh, but there are Christians today who are paying off a steak that they had in a, in a restaurant like three years ago because they're still paying off their MasterCard, right? And they're paying interest on their interest and they're broke like the rest of the world, right? But, but the Jews, not so. The Jews have been serious. The Jews have bought into God's plan for their life, God's plan, God's economic plan for their life. Unlike many Christians who have turned their back on this and have gone and sought upgrades and experiences and the spirit of this world has come upon them. God gave them this system to amass wealth and create uh, a, a nation, even though they had you know, no birth control, they had a lot of kids, and, uh, uh, and still God said, oh, I'm gonna, a righteous man will leave an inheritance not just to his children, but to his children's children. So I want to go to the heart of the teaching of this in the Old Testament. And I, and I want to point something out that I'd almost, um, I, I, many of you have been in church a long time. I, I, I'd almost say you've never seen before. Um, uh, some of you are, are relatively new and this whole concept might sort of strike you as bizarre. So stay with me because I'm going to show you something that you might find uh, shocking to start with, all right, but then interesting as I unpack it, okay? So if you get shocked first up, don't tune off, stay with me, and I'm going to show you something that I, I, I wouldn't mind um, considering most of you in this room have never seen before. Put Malachi 3 up on the screen, and uh, many of you have seen Malachi 3 before. It says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? Uh, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me now. Tithing was instituted under the law by Moses, and now they have gone away from this, and uh, they're not tithing, and there is a curse on their nation. Now, I, I, you need to hear me say this. I don't tithe because it's a sin not to, okay? This is not about law. This is not about if you don't do it, God's going to come after you and get you, okay? Take that thought and put that out of your head. We don't tithe because we have to tithe in the sense that if we don't tithe, something bad might happen to us. This is not about fear or, or insecurity. But I want you to note the next, the, the next part of, uh, of, of this um, chapter, verse 10. The, the first part of verse 10 says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 
that there might be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord. Did you note the difference there? How have you robbed me? In tithes. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Did you see one was plural and one was singular? Did you note that? One was plural and one was singular. In the Jewish culture, there was three kinds of tithes. You say to me, hallelujah, I'm struggling with one. <laughs> now you tell me I've got to pay three? That's 30%. Come on. That seems a little bit over the top, doesn't it? Are you now preaching the triple tithe? Well, may, well, well, may you laugh. <laughs> I thought it might shock you a little bit. The triple tithe. Um, the first tithe was called uh, Massa Rishon. You've got to get the, in the back of the throat if you want to sound real sort of in, in intelligent Jewish. Rishon, Rishon. Massa Rishon. <laughs> the second tithe was called Massa Shenai. And the third tithe, Massa Anai. Let me explain them to you before you decide I'm out. <laughs> if this church is going to the triple tithe, I'm not hanging around. Let me explain the three tithes to you. Uh, the first tithe was the tithe you brought to the Lord's house. That was the Lord's tithe. Many of you have heard that many times, whatever. Uh, the second tithe, many of you haven't heard before, I would suggest. The second tithe was called the feast tithe. And who do you pay the second tithe to? Because you don't pay it to the storehouse. You don't pay it to God. You know you pay the second tithe to? You pay the second tithe to, write this down, to yourself. The second tithe is paid to yourself. And then the third tithe is simply the second tithe every third year. According to, according to Deuteronomy 14, where you, instead of paying it to yourself, you gave it to the poor. Okay, so every third year you gave it to a, to a cause of, of some description. Now, what I find so remarkable about this is that I've known this you know, for 25 years, but I haven't known it. Many of you who have been in this church for a long time have heard me say before something along the lines of give 10, save 10, live on the rest. Give 10, save. Who's heard me say that before? Yeah. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> that was the economic system. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest. I just thought it was smart. I got it in a book somewhere. You know, <laughs> I just thought it was wisdom. I didn't realize that it was at the heart of the Jewish economic system. There was the first tithe that you brought to the Lord. There was the second tithe that you paid to yourself. And then you lived off of the rest. He goes on and says this. It says, And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing that there's not room enough to store it. Uh, I will prevent pests and varying your crops. This is an agricultural society. Uh, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed. That's the reason. God's name will be glorified. Uh, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. I will open the floodgates. Another translation says the windows of heaven. Now, stay with me. Uh, this is an agricultural society. Have you ever tried to plant into arid land? Have you ever tried to uh, farm land without any moisture? Uh, answer, shy on, impossible, uh, difficult to get a return. And if you do, the, 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 uh, the yields are way, way reduced. 
This is what God has promised them. If you, do, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, okay, so that's the tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You've robbed God in tithes and offerings. Bring the tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't make your soil fertile. Open up the windows of heaven, right? Pour out water on your land. What does water onto the land of an agricultural society achieve? It achieves fertileness in the land, right? So what he's saying is, if you bring the tithe in, your land will be fertile. Now, how many know? How many know? This is what you've got to understand here, folks. How many know that a fertile land produces no harvest without seed, right? So you can tithe, 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 have fertile land, but there's no harvest because there's no seed. When it talks about robbing God, it's not that God needs your money. It's that God wants to bless you, right? God's created a system. As I've said to you, the Jews have instigated and have done pretty well, as, as statistics prove, over 4,000 years. Nobody as an ethnic group is anywhere near them in the world today. Fact. Take that to the bank. That's a fact. It's not that God needs your money. It's that God wants to bless you. See, here's the thing. How many know that if you saw your resources, your finances, the way God sees them, you wouldn't have a money problem. How many know that? How many know if you saw finance the way Warren Buffett sees finance, you wouldn't have a money problem? The issue is not your money. The issue is your mindset, right? The issue is not your money. The issue is your mindset. Now, let, let me give you what I think it is and where I believe it should be. You see, we are, in a, we are in what I would define as an upgraded experience cult. Have you ever watched one of those shows on, um, you know, those quiz shows or listened to a quiz thing on the radio and someone wins, I don't know, $20,000, right? Haven't you seen someone win 20 grand on the television? Yep, yep, yep. Or on the radio? Yep, yep. Okay, what, are the, what does the host ask them? They say, what are you going to do with the money? What do they inevitably say? Every time, almost, we're going to go on a holiday. <laughs> we're going to have an experience. We've got this chunk of money. What are we going to do with it? Upgrade, get a new car, you know, get a new one. Experience, holiday. That's the way we think. God was trying to get the Jews to see legacy and influence not upgrades and experiences. Legacy and influence, not upgrades and experiences. Legacy and influence, not upgrades. You know, how can I get myself a better postcode, right? I, I gotta tell you folks, we, you know, um, what's the name talks about in his book, The Barefoot Investor, how we, uh, how we are locked into this postcode cult. We want a better postcode, want a better postcode. Somehow that's gonna make my life better. Uh, upgrades and experiences, upgrades and experiences are destroying us as a nation economically. We're kicking it down the, kicking the can down the road for our great, great grandchildren. Yet the Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance, not just to his children, but to his children's children, folks. Hmm. 
It's about changing our mindset from upgrades and experiences. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That's just not a, a, that's just not a sweet little phrase. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That's just not, you know, just read that and go, oh, that would be nice. That, no, no, no. What it takes is some initiative, some righteous thinking on how you view your money, on how you view the economy. And you move. From upgrades and experiences, a righteous man, it says here, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's legacy and influence. That's how righteous people think. And if you think like that, then the wealth of this world will come into your hands. Moses didn't start tithing just quietly. Uh, Abraham did 430 years before the law. Uh, he found this character called Melchizedek and he tied not because he had to, because he got to. We don't do this because we have to, folks. You don't have to do anything I'm talking today. I don't want you to feel pressure. Yeah, well, if I don't do this, God's not going to love me. That's rubbish. We don't do this because we have to. We do this because we get to. I don't, I don't function in wisdom as a mature person because I have to. I do it because I want to, because I get to do it, because I see the value in it, you see? So I'm not, I'm not using fear. I'm not using some kind of stick here this morning. What I'm saying to you is, is institute into your life wisdom, right, and walk away from foolishness. Tithe connects you to your blessing. Um, tithe creates a fertileness about your life. But then, of course, there's got to be seed. Now, how many know that everything in the Bible comes in threes? Father, Son, Holy Ghost, right? Um, there is length, length, breadth, and depth. You are spirit, soul, and body. Three things remain. Uh, faith, hope, and love. Everything revolves around three. And, and with giving, there, there are three aspects um, to giving. There wasn't just the three, the three tithes, right? There were three aspects, three different things they gave to. There was um, tithes and offerings, which we've just uh, re referred to. But there was another thing they call first fruits. Um, as it, we see in ne Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 44, it said, at, at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storeroom for the contributions, first fruits, tithes from the field, uh, from the towns. They were to bring into the storehouse the portion required by the law and the priests. Uh, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. So the only reason I point that out to you is this other thing called first fruits. It was first fruits, tithes and offerings. First fruits, tithes and offerings were the three um, uh, categories of giving that existed in the Jewish culture uh, at this time. Now, the, the whole concept of first fruit is continued on in the New Testament. Jesus is called the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And what that means is the fact that he is risen from the dead is the assurance that you and I, if, if we're in Christ, um, when we die, we'll rise from the dead. The whole idea behind first fruits was this that which you did with the first was then multiplied through everything else. Whatever you did with the first became the result of everything else. If this is holy, then everything is holy. If the first fruit is holy, then the whole lump is holy. That was the whole idea behind it. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 11, verse 16, he said, if part of the dough is offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. The root is holy, so are the branches. So the first fruit was the root, 
And it was the first of the harvest that they, taught, that they took from the field. They'd bring that in. And that would assure them that the rest of the harvest that was still in the field would come. Right? That was an assurance that that there was on its way. This was holy. Therefore, that too is holy. Now, what we do as a church, just you know, for what it's worth, we actually uh, facilitate this three kind of giving in the way we structured our, our, our economy as a church. Uh, we do a vision offering at the end of July every year, um, which is like a first fruits offering, if you will. You know, call it whatever you like. But, but what we do is we come up with projects that need to be um, financed. And then we, you know, we give to that approximately you know, what comes in first. Or we challenge people to believe God for take one week's salary and, and let's put it towards a project. Now, we're going to be doing a project a little bit later this year that we want to fund. And how many know that uh, what we have to do is replace this carpet that's many, many years old, that's sort of uh, stained and, and, you know, out of, out of whatever, out of its use by day. So we, we need to replace the carpet. This auditorium actually needs some work done on it, folks. It's old, uh, hasn't had some work done on it for a time. We actually want to uh, change this, this uh, platform area here and bring it back a little bit so we can fit more chairs in, right? Uh, either that or you can sit right here but most of you don't like to sit right there. So what we want to do is bring this, we've got a lot of space up here, we want to bring this back so we can fit more chairs in and create more space for people to sit. Um, so these are just some projects that we want to do anyhow. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we take up an offering every year to do you know, a, a, a project that brings the church you know, increase in some way or another. And there's a sense in which it, it kind of dovetails in with this whole idea um, of the first fruits offering. It creates seed for your fertile soil. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, just fertile soil enough will not bring forth a harvest, but seed will. And I, I heartily believe, folks, I heartily believe in faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I believe that you actually need, I mean, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, just give and don't expect the return. Jesus said, given it shall be given. Paul said, whatsoever men sows, that shall he reap. Uh, I, 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 I don't want... I want there to be faith in giving. I want to have faith when I'm giving that I'm saying, well, God, I'm sowing this into fertile soil in my life. I'm believing for an increase. Uh, I'm moving by faith. I I believe in faith. And I think that we need to move into expectation and and, and say, okay, well, this is what God, this this was a, a... a, um, this was not just a law, it was a principle, right? It was a system that, that was created thousands of years ago. The people who have instituted it are now the wealthiest people on the planet by far. Maybe there's something there. Let me give you my own sort of personal story here. And, uh, you know, I, I do this with a little bit of fear and trepidation because I don't know how you'll respond to this, but it's just true. <laughs> so I've just got to tell you, this is what happened to me, what happened to us, um, and how I've seen this actually work in my life in a literal sense. Uh, we, back in the, um, in the mid-90s, got a very, what you would define as a modest inheritance, all right? It was a small amount of money in, you know, in, in, in big terms. Um, what did we do with it? Well, the first thing we did, I, I didn't know about the second tithe, right? But the first thing we did was we, we gave the first tithe. And the second thing we did was we paid ourselves. We invested the second tithe. Um, it was about $1,600. So $1,600, not, you know, a king's ransom, is it? 1600 bucks is probably more than you got in your wallet. 
<laughs> but, you know, it's not, you can't do an awful lot with $600. You could probably buy a nice new television, right, or a computer or something with 600 bucks. But we took that $600 and we invested it and then we spent the rest. We went and bought a new car, right? It wasn't a new car. We were driving a HJ Holden at the time. So that was made in 1975, <laughs> in the mid-90s, all right? So we had the old bench seat. My wife used to sit really close to me, but then she's right over the other side now. And uh, so we went and bought, you know, a car with bucket seats, you know, with air conditioning and it wasn't vinyl, but cloth trim. Oh, wow, it was really cool. And uh, so we went and bought a, a, a car because our car was 20 years old and we thought we needed a new car. So we got this little bit of money, we tithe, we paid ourselves and we went and bought ourselves a new car. Fast forward, we invested in, in these shares. I put it in the bottom of my drawer and forgot about it. Fast forward 15, 20 years, and I find myself at a missions conference in, um, in Phuket. And uh, these, these few blokes are talking about creating this property trust. And they said to me, do you want in? I said, well, yeah, sounds great. I want in. How much do you need? They said, 50 grand. I said, 50 grand, no problems. I've got that right here. Uh, I said, oh, I don't have $50,000, but hang on a minute, I got them shares. So I valued the shares. It was worth $600. They're worth now about 50 grand. <laughs> so I cashed the shares in, got the 50 grand, put it into the property trust. A couple of years later, sold off all of that. That all came back. We now have enough, you know, we've now amassed enough money to buy a house that someone else can pay off for us. So we buy this other house. Someone else then starts paying off for us. And then, and then one of our children wants to buy a house but the bank won't lend them the money because the bank's looking for more surety, right? They want, they want some more capital behind our children to be able to buy a house. So we've got this other house over here that someone else is paying off for us. So we say, well, why don't you take that? Use that as a surety so you get into a house. So the bank on that basis said yes, and then our children were able to buy a house based upon that. And if you were to try to look at the equity today, it'd be about, in those both houses, it'd be over half a million dollars. It started 25 years ago from a second tithe of $1,600. That's just a story. It's a true story. And now, my children's children are blessed. My children's children, and they are living in a house that their parents own that they couldn't have got into if we didn't have the capacity to provide you know, a house for assurance, which we would have been questionable about the house we live in, but we had this other house. The reason we had this other house was because we did well on the property trust, it did well on the share market, that all came back to a small inheritance that we got some 25, 30 years ago. We took $1,600 and paid ourselves the second tithe. Now, what else could have we done with that 1600 bucks back in 1995? Have a think. Computers were just coming on, weren't they, back then? I would have loved a new computer. 1600 bucks, that probably would have got me a computer back then, wouldn't it? If I bought a computer for $1,600 back in 1995, what would it be, what would it be worth today? <laughs> you couldn't use it as a doorstop, right? <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be worth a Jats cracker. Ah... <laughs> uh, Maybe a new television, right? All I'm simply saying is that did we need stuff? Of course we needed stuff. Could have we upgraded and had some experience? Of course. Of course. There were heaps of things that needed to be done. There were heaps of things that money could have gone to. We were not on a, a large income, but we said, no, we're going to say no to this and pay ourselves 
and $1,600 now equals the best part of half a million dollars. And the, 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 uh, uh, I, I just suggest it comes back to this scripture that I read a moment ago from Proverbs, which simply says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So where did half a million dollars come from, folks? I have no idea, to be really honest with you. <laughs> All I can think of, out of the pocket of the unrighteous. <laughs> you see, every week you have a decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, you know, I'm going to tithe or whatever. I'm going to give a little bit here. I'm going to do whatever I can. And, and then I think I'll go and do this. Or then I think I'll go and do that. You know what it is? It's an upgrade and experience. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't get your self-worth from luxury items. How many know that poor people buy luxury items? That's what poor people do, folks. Poor people buy liabilities Rich people buy assets. Did you write that down? That was worth the, pro- the, 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 the cost of admission right there. <laughs> Poor people buy liabilities. A liability is everything that decreases in value. But the Jews buy assets. <laughs> the smart people of the world buy assets. Even when they have a little, they get a little bit of an asset. Any bit of an asset they can. And they go without and they sacrifice and, and, and they don't draw their sense of self-worth from where they live or what they drive or how they look or what they wear because those upgrades and experiences will undermine your financial legacy and your influence. We, we are living in an upgrade, right, and experience cult. And we've got to escape the cult of upgrades and experiences. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you walk around in your 1975 pairs of jeans. Most of you, they wouldn't fit. (laughs) That would be bad. (laughs) I'm not saying that you can't, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, buy clothes and things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you just must be wise. What I'm saying is give, invest, save, live on the rest. Give, invest, save. When you give, create fertile soil when you save you put seed in the ground for God to bless how are you robbing God you're not robbing God because you're keeping the tithe back you're robbing God who wants to pour his blessing out upon your life why so that he might be glorified so that people would look at you and you go well how do I get into that thing that you are a part of right People look at Christians like they would look at the covenant, his covenant people, the Jews, and go, wow, you guys know something. You're not just thinking upgrades and experiences. You're not just thinking, well, buy this finance, you'll get a tax return. Woohoo! A tax return. What let's go shopping. I need some retail. Ah, can I encourage you this morning? Don't get your soundness of mind from Harvey Norman. (laughs) If you need some therapy, read your Bible and pray. (laughs) Get some spiritual therapy. Oh, I feel so much better when I go out and I flash the plastic and I create all kinds of debt that I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying off. 
I've got to tell you, my friend, if you have a credit card debt, then you need to get rid of that credit card debt because what's happening is there is that money's going to mammon, you see? You're just paying that money out, paying that money out when it could be going to God. See, I'm not, I'm not talking... We've got to stop thinking. We've got to stop thinking uh, that, that wealth creates you know, personal, personal use. It, it somehow inflames my selfishness. I heard someone once say that you, get, you give someone money and you find out what they're really like. And, and what they were really saying was that you give someone money and that enables their selfishness. They can do whatever they like. And I, I, I don't think that's how we should live. And, and you, know, you might even say this morning, and I, I really struggle with this concept. You might even say this morning, oh, we have enough, you know. We, make the, we don't have a lot, but we have enough. How selfish are you? <laughs> Is it, is it merely just about you're enough? I mean, God has called us to, to influence the world. We've got missionaries we have to send. We've got buildings we have to build. Just this week, um, I was in, um, Francis and I were in, in the Torres Strait, as you know. And, and I was up there and I was saying to them up there, what's the needs up here? You know, how, what, how can we help? And uh, not just speaking on behalf of the church, I'm speaking on behalf of the ACC in Queensland, so I don't look too concerned, all right? <laughs> and, uh, and just, but just to give you an idea, um, uh, there's 15 islands between the top of Australia and Papua New Guinea. We, the ACC, we have church on 15 of them. There's four that we, at that, that this stage, there's no church on. There's people there, but there's no church. There's no, you know, there's no lighthouse for the gospel. And I said, what would it take to get the church on? And they said, we need a boat. Uh, we need a boat that we can, we can get there, we can get people there, we can get resources there, we can, we can, we can evangelize and we can set up a, a, a church there. I said, okay, what kind of boat do you need? And we started looking at boats. And, and the truth of the matter is, to get the, a boat that's going to get them from, um, from Thursday Island out to these islands, you know, and it's in, in an adequate time, would cost about $65,000, wouldn't you love? Wouldn't you love to be able to write a check for that? Wouldn't you love to go, hey, I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to give, give the kingdom of God a boat so those four islands can have a church. 70 grand, no problems. Here you go. Well, here's the thing. You might not be able to do that, but you start living like this. You teach this to your children and your children's children and your children's children will. That's the thing. See, we've got to stop thinking now and the, this, the end of the year and end of the, you know, end of the week. Too many of us live week to week. How many know that the kingdom of God is generation to generation? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thinks generationally. Some of us, I've got to tell you folks, we're flat out thinking monthly. You know what I'm saying? Like we get, oh, I've got this week's paycheck. Let's hope I can make it through the next week's paycheck. The kingdom of God thinks generationally. They don't think, well, next week's paycheck. They're thinking children's children. But we've got to get smart. And I think we've got to say, okay, maybe there is something here. I'm going to change my mindset from upgrades and experiences. If I get a little bit of money, woohoo, let's go to Harvey Norman. I can get the latest 3D or whatever television, whatever it might happen to be. I can go and do this. I can go and do that. Stop thinking upgrades and experiences. Start thinking influence and legacy influence and legacy a righteous man a righteous woman leaves an inheritance to the generation beyond the generation that follows them and this is possible for anybody anybody 
give, save, live on the rest. God taught that to his people. And now his people are the wealthiest people on the planet. What about your lineage? What about your children? What about your children's children? What are we leaving our legacy to look like? Thank you for listening to this podcast.